Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls, every bit of baseball content, EthosFantasyBB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter or social media, fear not, go to SportsEthos.com and you get everything there right from the source. Now today we're not going to waste any time in getting going. We are going to be talking outfielders again. This will likely be our last show. I've been kind of going back and forth on the idea of potentially doing a fifth one on Monday just to talk about some guys who maybe didn't finish so high, kind of following the same method we've done if you've been following along with our position reviews where we do a couple of shows talking about the top 10, top 20, and then we go outside of that and look at some guys who maybe didn't finish so high in rankings for one reason or another. We may do that on Monday, uh, still figuring out the plans for next week's show. And of course, the usual caveat that if there is a Juan Soto trade, if there's a Shohei Otani signing, then we will drop what we're doing and record a show and talk about that. But I just want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up on our planning. But we are going to be talking outfielders. We're going to be going from number 31 down to 40. And of course, we are using Yahoo's player ranker. That's what we've been using here throughout all these previews. And we're going to start off at number 31 with Jorge Soler. He finished as the 142nd, 142 uh, ranked player on the season, according to Yahoo's rankings, with 77 runs, 36 homers, 75 ribbies, a 250 batting average, and he also did add in a stolen base as well. That was in 137 games, and this was pretty much what, honestly, you can expect from Soler over a full-ish season. Whenever he's played a full season in his career, this has been what he's done, and it's only happened three times. It was 2019, it was 2021, and it was 2023 now, where he's played generally a full season, and you're looking at about 30-plus home run power. It was 27 back in 2021, and he did have that massive season in 2019 with the Royals where he hit 48. Now, that did come in 2019 where the home run numbers were kind of inflated across baseball. The balls were bouncing all over the yard, so maybe he's not a 48 home run guy, but he showed us this year that he played 137 games. He hit 36 homers. That's a 40-plus home run pace for Jorge Soler, so maybe there is, uh, there was some legitimacy in that big number he put up in 2019. Not to say that he's going to replicate that, but he has shown now pretty consistently that if he's on the field and if he's healthy, which has always been a bit of a question for him, uh, regular playing time and health, that he can produce. Now, the projections for next year, and they kind of assume health for a lot of players, they have him down for 144 games, 34 homers, 90 ribbies, 91 runs, and a 244 batting average. That is, of course, beautiful. The question is, we don't know where Jorge Soler is going to be playing. It could be literally anywhere at this point. He is, of course, a free agent. There's been some talk that the Blue Jays are interested. I've heard a couple teams uh, mention that they are interested in Jorge Soler. 
not really sure where he goes. Now, his power should play pretty much anywhere. It doesn't matter where the park is, really. Uh, I'm not going to be too concerned about the potential for 30-plus homers from him. Now, he's somebody that you can probably rely on for a, a lot of games because he's going to predominantly be DHing at this point. 102 games as a DH and only 32 games in the field. As he gets older, it happens with a lot of players. Not that he's the oldest guy in the world. Jorge Soler, he is at this point uh, 31. He'll be 32 going into next year. But you will see him gradually start to play uh, more and more just as a designated hitter. He's not somebody who provides great defense in the outfield anyway. In fact, it's you know that's kind of putting it lightly. He's really not a great defender at all. And you're going to see that uh, over the years. He has played more and more DH. And, you know, I don't really see the health being as much of a concern when he's not going to be asked to play the field uh, really much, if maybe at all, depending on which team he signs with. Uh, maybe he goes back to Atlanta or I, mean, I honestly have no idea. But wherever he goes, I think that he's pretty secured in that value. You know what you're getting from him. Again, he could. there's a possibility that even as a DH, he might not stay healthy. But I think it's a lot more likely that you'll see closer to 130, 140 games uh, without being asked to do anything aside from just go to the plate and hit home runs, which is pretty much what he does. Get on base and hit home runs. Because if you guys are in on-base percentage leagues, that's something to pay attention to as well. Uh, 340 on base despite the 250 batting average. So he's just that much more valuable over there. His price right now in early drafts, it is ranging around quite a bit. 98 is the minimum pick, which I think is a little bit, uh, quite a bit high in all honesty. And the maximum is 201. Uh, his ADP is settling in right now at 155. That is through 65 drafts now. I think it was 62 or 63 yesterday. I can't remember now, but every day we're adding a little bit more uh, of a sample size to the database. Solaire at 155, I have no problem with him there, really. You're getting him outside of the first 10 rounds and 15 teamers. That's, you know, at that point, you can start taking some chances. And I don't even think it's really much uh, of a chance that you're taking on Solaire. If he signs with a terrible, terrible team and just takes, you know, a, a nice three or four year contract where he's getting a lot of money and, you know, he, he takes that opportunity as opposed to maybe a little bit less to play for a contender, then maybe you're not as interested and maybe you want to start pushing him down 160, 170, 180, whatever. But I don't think it really is going to matter that much. Uh, you can probably, you know, and we, we saw it this year to some extent, 77 runs and 75 RBIs isn't amazing, especially with 36 homers. But he's going to be going to probably a better offense than Miami. I, I really don't expect him to be going to a terrible team. I, I, I know it, it's still too early in the process, but he goes to the Blue Jays. That's an upgrade. He goes to a lot of different teams from Miami. Uh, that's going to be an upgrade for him. So, and that's why the projections, I think, are, are factoring that in 91 runs and 90 ribbies is what he's projected for. I think that's very reasonable, assuming he doesn't go to a complete dud of a team. But let's talk about the next guy on this list, and that's Seiya Suzuki. Seiya Suzuki is kind of a, a guy that I don't know that we've really had a proper chance to evaluate with all the injuries that he has had uh, in the last couple seasons since coming over uh, from Japan, of course. Now, he's put up good numbers. It's just, I, for me, I, I don't really know exactly what the full potential is from him. Now, it was a majority of a season for him this year, 138 games, but 111 the previous year, and I think there is some injury risk there associated with him. I just don't really know exactly what he can be. He's shown flashes of, you know, those nine stolen bases in 2022 in 111 games before they changed the rules on steals. You would have thought that he might be a guy that could steal 20. Now, he went down to six over 138 games. The power did go up a little bit. The batting average went up. Uh, overall, I think he's just kind of a confusing player for me personally to rank. Now, I, I really think that he is a solid player, but I don't think that the Cubs overall 
are going to be looking that great as an offense going into next season. They're going to be losing Cody Bellinger. I think that's pretty much all but guaranteed. I don't know if it's 100% been set in stone, but I think that's pretty much a guarantee. And there's no real replacement for him on the free agent market. You're looking at a lineup that's not really the greatest around him. You know, Ian Happ, who we talked about yesterday, is pretty solid, projected about right in front of him. Dansby Swanson is pretty good. Nico Horner. But we're not talking about an amazing team around Suzuki where you can really project incredible counting stats from him. You know, you're probably looking at tops 80 and 80 for runs and RBIs. The stolen bases, he showed nine and then six. Maybe it goes up a little bit. Maybe it stays the same. I think that's a kind of a tough number to project for him. He's projected for nine from Steamer, which is probably about right. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's five. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 17 from him. Kind of a tricky number to project. Batting average, I think it's going to be pretty good, but he's also run some pretty high BABIPs over his first couple of seasons, 326 and 341. Those are pretty high BABIP numbers. He's projected to come down to 313 this year, and the batting average projected to come down more than 20 points to 264. The power, I think, is pretty good, but I don't think it's elite to the point where you can say, well, he hit 20 homers and 138. I think we can chalk him down for 30 homers in a full season. I just don't know if that's necessarily in the cards for Seiya Suzuki. I think that he can be a pretty solid fantasy contributor, but I just don't know exactly where I'm going to be getting that production from. It's, you know, it might be 20 homers. It might be 17 homers. It might be 27. I I just, I don't really know how to project him in any of these individual categories. And the steamer projections seem okay. 23 homers, 76 runs, 82 ribbies, 264 batting average. It seems about right. But I think that he's going to be one of those guys who is very tricky to actually figure out what he is. And I don't really love the price that we're having to pay on him at this point as well. 114 is the ADP with a 74 minimum and a 143 maximum. I think people might be hoping that the stolen bases go up and that the power goes up. You kind of need everything to improve a little bit for him to hit that number of 114. I just don't know if that's necessarily what we can be projecting from Seiya Suzuki. Is it possible? Sure. I just don't know that it's necessarily likely, uh, especially with that batting average projected to come down. And the batting average holding a lot of weight there, I think, in terms of why he was ranked where he was, which was 146th on Yahoo. 20 homers is fairly replaceable. Six stolen bases, fairly replaceable. You know, 150 runs in RBIs is a pretty solid number, but over 138 games, you know, it's solid, but it's nothing to write home about. And to be taking him inside the top 100 picks, which is happening uh, here and there with, say, a Suzuki, I just don't know that it's necessarily a wise investment when I think there are probably some outfielders that you can aim for a little bit farther down the board. And we've talked about a lot of them yesterday that I think are some really solid values that you don't need to be paying up for uh, where he is currently going. And at that point, and at this point, it's like the eighth round. Uh, That's where his ADP is. He's going ahead of George Springer, Santander, TJ Friedel, uh, Ian Happ, Jorge Soler, who we just talked about. Masataka Yoshida, Riley Green, James Outman. You know, there's a lot of guys who I think have a lot of potential who are going farther down the board uh, where, you know, I think the production will be fairly similar, whether it's from a dollar value standpoint or from an actual, you know, home runs, RBI, stolen base standpoint. I think it'll be fairly equal from a lot of these guys that you're getting farther down the board. So I think that as of right now, Seiya Suzuki is going to be a pass for me uh, where he is going at ADP. It's, It's a little bit too rich for my liking. Let's talk James Outman. We just mentioned him. Of course, James Outman had a fantastic rookie season. It was up and down. There were parts of the season where James Outman in shallower leagues was 
looking like a drop, and he probably was dropped if you're talking about maybe a 10-team league, maybe potentially even a 12-team league. But it did finish out with a 23-homer, 16-stolen base stat line with a 248 batting average, 86 runs, and 70 RBI. Really, really solid. Now, like I mentioned, it was kind of up and down. 292 over the first month of the season with seven homers, four stolen bases. He looked like he was going to potentially compete for the Rookie of the Year trophy with Corbin Carroll, which, of course, ended up being a complete blowout as it should have been. But at the time, uh, you know, Outman was looking like he could have won Rookie of the Year. And then in the month of May, 26 games, he hits two homers, bats 165. And then June, bats 224. He does not hit a single homer. So we're really worried at that point. And then, of course, in July, three homers. He bats 309. It is a long season. It does vary up and down. And he did end up having better second-half numbers than first-half numbers. Uh, 12 homers compared to 11. 264 batting average compared to 236. Overall, Outman did improve as the season went on. Uh, It was up and down, but that's kind of what you have to expect from a rookie, even though he's an older rookie this season. Uh, You don't really see that many rookies who are 26. He'll be 27 early on next year. But when you don't have experience with major league pitching, there are going to be times where you're really seeing the ball well and smashing like he was, and there are going to be times when you are struggling. But at the end of the day, you got a guy who is going to be a mainstay in this Dodgers lineup. He's a very solid defender, obviously provides a lot offensively, even though the strikeout rate is really high. He's one of those guys who can get by because the walk rate is also very high, and he does have a high BABIP good speed so he's going to get on base a good amount so he can get by with that pretty high walk rate now i i think that he's pretty interesting we just mentioned his adp i didn't actually mention specifically where he's going but 184 at that point to get a chunk of the dodgers lineup and i don't know necessarily where they are going to slot him in next season i think that that's something that's still kind of up for debate a little bit he bounced around last season he let off four times he batted fourth four times fifth eight times 26 times he was sixth 52 times he batted 7th, 48 times he batted 8th, and then 7 times he brought up the rear, uh, batting ninth. So I really don't know where he's going to be. He was everywhere, actually, at one point or another, except for the third spot in the lineup. I really don't know. I'm just going to quickly pull up roster resource and see where they have him projected for. And they do a great job, but obviously no one really knows uh, at this point. But either way, you're getting a chunk, uh, getting a piece of a really solid lineup. Now, right now, he's projected about 5th, which is really, really interesting you got a top of that lineup that right now, Mookie, Freeman, Will Smith, Muncie, potentially Otani, James Outman. You know, they just re-signed Jason Hayward, Chris Taylor. Uh, there's a, I mean, I know those last couple of guys, Taylor and Hayward, aren't really moving the needle that much. But when you're talking Betts, Freeman, Smith, Muncie, Otani, those guys are batting before you, around you. Um, you know, that's going to lead to a lot, obviously, I don't need to tell you guys, a lot of run potential, a lot of RBI potential for Outman. So I think it could look really, really nice for him. That ADP is not too expensive at all. 184 seems very reasonable to pay for a guy with that kind of upside. 145 is the minimum. 233 is the maximum. At that point, 233, you're laughing uh, with James Outwood. I know the batting average wasn't terribly great, but a guy that runs that kind of high BABIP, even with the strikeout rate, you should probably see it go up a little bit. It's projected to go down to 230, but I think that you could probably see him be a 250, 260 kind of hitter. And with everything else he's providing, the good you know 20-plus homer potential, good speed, obviously good counting stats in that lineup, I think that James Outman's got to be somebody who's on everybody's wish list uh, going into, you know, what, what are we talking, that pick 184, like uh, 13th round or something like that. I mean, there's really not much. And that's a 15-teamer. And most people, you guys are mostly playing in 12-teamers. I mostly talk in 15-team terms at this point because that's what most of the drafts are. That's what a lot of my leagues are at this point. But if you're playing in 12-team leagues and you're getting down to that point, assuming the price is relatively similar, 
once you start drafting on Yahoo and wherever else, that's like 16th round. You're not really paying anything at that point for James Outman. I think that he is really, really worth the investment, a great pick. And I think definitely somebody that I would take over, say, a Suzuki. You're getting him 70 picks later on average. I think the production is going to be at least you know comparable. Uh, definitely a, comp- a direct comparison there because they're right beside each other this year in rankings, but an easy, easy siding to Outman there for me. Now let's talk Nolan Jones. He's going to be one of the more polarizing players of the offseason. We did, of course, mention him when we went through our first base reviews because he was dual eligible last season. Now, depending on where you're playing, he may be dual eligible this year. He played 60 times in left, 34 times in right, and five times in center. So obviously outfield is taken care of. Also 10 times at first base. So I think he's got you secured there if you're talking Yahoo and ESPN and the like. Also one time at third base for what it's worth, but that doesn't count for anything uh, for what we're talking about here. Now, Nolan Jones, the reason why he is going to be polarizing is not because of anything that he did other than just succeed this year. It's more so because of the draft price that you are paying for him, uh, which at this point is 58. 58 is the ADP, the end of the fourth round in 15 teamers. 29 is the minimum, which is the end of the second round, and the maximum, much more appealing, 111. Now, I think most of the time you're probably not going to be getting him at 111, if you go to the NFBC site and you look at their ADP, you can see a scatter plot of where he is generally getting drafted. There's a good number of them, a lot of them, that are being top 50, top 60 picks here. In fact, the vast majority. He is occasionally falling, but you know, very rarely, if ever, going outside of the top 100. So if you do want to get a piece of Nolan Jones, you're going to definitely be paying for it. And there's good reason for that. He had 20 homers and 20 stolen bases with a 297 batting average in 106 games. That is absurd, obviously. Yeah, you're playing in Colorado, so you got to factor that in. But if you look at the splits for Nolan Jones, home and away, he was actually slightly better on the road. Like, it was pretty much exactly the same numbers that you were seeing from him. Uh, WRC Plus on the road was 148 compared to a 121 at home. The OPS was 935 on the road, 925 at home. You know, it wasn't really like, a oh, it was Coors, so you have to discount what he was doing much fewer strikeouts uh, that he did accumulate over the course of the season at home than on the road, 23% strikeout rate versus 35. And I think there is part of that. That is the environment there in Colorado. But I mean, either way, you're talking about a guy who really produced over those 106 games. Now the problem is what is that going to look like over the course of 140 games? Now the projections, the early steamer projections do not have him improving whatsoever. They have him coming down pretty much across the board, especially if you look at rate, not necessarily in terms of sheer volume because they're projecting 139 games, which is 33 more than the previous season, which was this current season, of course. They're only projecting 23 homers, 78 runs, 80 ribbies, and 16 stolen bases. So three more homers, 18 more runs. You're talking 18 more ribbies, and you're talking four fewer stolen bases over the course of 33 games. Doesn't really feel worth it. Now, when you look at the batting average, Projected to go from 297 down to 265. Why is that? He had a 401 BABIP, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's not sustainable. Even though he is a guy who has consistently run those high BABIPs, that's not something that's going to happen. He is not going to be somebody that's able to do that because no one's able to run a BABIP of that nature. It just doesn't really happen in baseball 400. And let's say it's still a good BABIP, a 350, which is what it's projected to be. That's where you're going to see the batting average coming down. So I think that Nolan Jones is going to be a trap. I know a lot of people, a lot of smart people are talking him up and are really interested in taking chances on him. But as the 15th outfielder off the board, he's going ahead of Trout. He's going ahead of Yelich, Josh Lowe, Kyle Schwarber, Castellanos. I mean, man, it's going to be 
really hard to actually push the button on him in the fourth round of a 15-teamer, the fifth round of a 12-teamer. I just think it's too expensive. I wouldn't really be t- touching him where he's going at this point. I know everybody you know goes crazy over Colorado, and we have examples over the course of you know their entire existence of players of this kind of nature just going crazy. Carlos Gonzalez and you know God knows how many others. Todd Helton, Kulowitzki. I know we're talking a bunch of different positions here. Larry Walker, Dante Bichette. Like there's so many people that just put up ridiculous seasons in Colorado. And we just think that, yeah, anybody can do that. And maybe he can, but I don't think that is necessarily set in stone, especially with that fairly high 30% strikeout rate. I don't know that you're getting a guaranteed stud here uh, in Nolan Jones. I don't know that the speed is legitimate because I, I, you know, I just, we've never seen it from him before to that degree. I don't think that it's something that you can expect that he's going to build on that and steal 30 next year. I just think that there's kind of a trap here with Nolan Jones, especially considering the ridiculously high price that you're currently paying on him. I'm going to be out. I'm not a big fan as of right now. Let's talk Chaz McCormick. Chaz McCormick was somebody that I was really interested in. I tried to pick him up pretty much everywhere, and I was unsuccessful either because, you know, waiver claims or I was not quick enough to the button or I didn't bid enough at fab. Various reasons I was unsuccessful on Chaz McCormick. He put up a phenomenal season in 115 games, 22 homers, 19 steals with a 273 batting average, 59 runs and 70 RBI for Chaz as well. This was a breakout, absolutely a breakout for you. If you picked him up in fantasy, then there's a good chance that he won you your league. I absolutely adore what the potential is here, especially in that Houston lineup. We know what that is with pretty much anybody the question is, how much is he going to play? Because there were times down the stretch when it was really frustrating that Chaz McCormick was not getting into the starting lineup. Now, with Dusty Baker gone, I don't see there being as many weird decisions and a guy who just showed you what he did, good batting average, you know, 20-20, if not more potential in the bat and in the, in the, in the legs. I don't know why you wouldn't be giving him as many at-bats as possible. Now, at this point, I, I really don't know what the future is going to hold for him in terms of playing time, but you got to think he is going to be starting pretty much every single day in left field. That's where he should be. He should be slotting somewhere in the middle to the back end of that lineup, but considering the talent that is around him, one through nine, that shouldn't really be a concern in terms of the numbers that you're going to be getting from him. Uh, I took him once already in a draft so far. I've done two drafts, and I took him, I want to say, in round 12 or 13, of a 15-team draft. I can't remember exactly now, but it was somewhere in that range of like 180 or so, and the ADP right now is 161. Uh, 110 on the minimum, 214 on the maximum. I don't really have a problem with him anywhere in that range. I think 110, considering there's some unknowns, might be a little bit early, but like 130, 140, once you're talking round eight, round nine, 15-team league, I don't really have a problem with it at all, especially if you're getting him closer to that maximum of 200 or beyond. I mean, then there's really nothing wrong uh, with taking a shot on Chaz McCormick there. I think you're going to see him play a lot more regularly regularly than we did uh, this past season, which was, of course, a drag. But even with that, uh, he was still the 163rd ranked player, according to Yahoo, in 115 games. That's really, really incredible production from him. Could see him really break out even further next season, given the chance. But let's talk about Masataka Yoshida. I was really big on him coming into the year. I was probably too big. I was predicting that he was going to win the American League Rookie of the Year. I thought his game was going to translate incredibly well. I thought Fenway was great for him. And overall, it was a 
pretty solid offensive season from Yoshida. He came over 14% strikeout rate, only a 6% walk rate, which was kind of frustrating. We thought we might see a little bit higher number there, but solid strikeout rate. He hit 15 homers. He only stole eight bags, but I think that was okay considering he gave you a 289 batting average, 71 runs, and 72 RBI. He played in 140 games as well. That was pretty solid production. He was 168th ranked player. I can't remember exactly where he ended up going, but I think that was generally probably where you were taking him. Uh, somewhere in the 100s last year, I think it did kind of fluctuate throughout draft season. But overall, I think it's hard to be disappointed with the overall outlook that you got from him. Projections seem to think we're going to see a bit of a better season from him next year as well. They're projecting the same amount of games, 138 versus 140, but 18 homers, 76 runs, 81 ribbies, 5 steals, and a 291 batting average. They think that walk rate will go up. And in turn, the OBP is projected to go from 338 to 361. Slugging projected to go from 445 to 460. So I think that we can see an improvement with another year of understanding the way that the game is played in the U.S. as opposed to Japan. I think that it'll give him – and he's a very intelligent baseball player. I, I think that you give him another year, and you're going to just see those improvements happen. I think the Red Sox are going to be fairly competent offense where you don't really have to worry so much about the team around him. It's not going to be incredible – but considering he's probably going to be batting somewhere in the third through fifth spot in that lineup, I think that it's probably going to be a pretty good situation for him offensively. So I don't really have any reason to doubt that Yoshida can be a really so- a really strong asset next year as well. Now his price at current moment is 170, 104 on the minimum, 208 on the maximum. I think that that's fine. Uh, definitely closer to the maximum side. I don't want to be taking him anywhere near the top 100 necessarily. I don't think there's enough upside in the homers and stolen bases in and of itself there uh, to justify that. But I think that you've taken him 150 or beyond, like 10th round, 11th round. I can really see that as a boost to your batting average, specifically if you need that, if you took a couple guys early on who you're a little bit unsure of their batting average potential. Let's say you took a Schwarber or somebody like that or a couple guys like that and you want to stabilize a little bit. I think Yoshida is a really good option there. Uh, he could potentially go to 10 steals. I don't think that he's going to be a big stolen base guy, but you might see 10. You might see, you know, they're projecting five, but I think that that's kind of one where it could go up a little bit, could go down. But I think the upside is there for like a 2010 season with a 300 batting average. I think that we could potentially see that from him. So he's another guy that you got to be uh, looking out for because I think the price is pretty reasonable at that point. A lot of good outfielders going off the board between picks 150 and 200. That's when I think you got to really be paying attention because if you miss out there and you don't have already three or maybe even four, depending on how deep your league is, you might be screwed uh, at that point. But let's talk about the next guy. We have Lourdes, Lourdes Guriel Jr., the former Blue Jay who I honestly wasn't expecting him to have a great season, but he had uh, an incredible season, all things considered, especially after what he did in 2022, a really disappointing year. He bounced back and he hit 24 homers. He had 82 RBI, 65 runs, five stolen bases, and he batted 261. Now, there was a point in the season, and I'm forgetting exactly when it was now. I think it was in May. Let me just double-check that. Yeah, it was in May when he was just absurd. In the month of May as a whole, he had eight home runs, 18 ribbies, 18 runs, and he batted 352. That kind of helped him, carried him through the whole season, really, because he batted 190 in June, 159 in July. Definitely picked it up down the stretch, 289 in, or 286 in August, and then 296 in September. He did pick it up down the stretch, but man, that 352 month where he hit eight home runs really was a big part of his season. Uh, you know, he hit a third of his homers just in that one month. That was obviously a big part of it. Stole a few more bases than he did the previous couple of years, which was really good as well. 
overall, he's a very solid player offensively. Uh, he's a good batting average guy where, you know, 261 was probably about as low as you're going to see from Gurriel. His BABIP, and I, I think he was trying to go for more power this year. You definitely did see that from him. Uh, you saw a higher ISO than we'd seen in several years. So maybe that's a part of it that it's not so much about the contact for him at this point. But he's a guy who's always been, you know, he's a 279 career hitter. We've seen him hit 300 over the course of, even if it was the short season, uh, even in other years, we saw 291 just as recently as last year, 281, 277. There's a lot of promise there uh, just in the batting average total. So, And I think that you know, you look at that 261, you might say, oh, it's, it's going down. Maybe it goes down again. I think you're looking at probably what the projections are saying, 272, as being probably a floor for Gurriel. I could definitely see him getting back up to the 280 mark, hitting 20 homers, stealing a couple bags. It really depends as well, uh, you know, his overall value does, on where he goes because Gurriel is a free agent at this point. I have no idea where he's going. I haven't heard a hell of a lot of speculation one way or the other. There were some people that were saying maybe he comes back to Toronto, and that was rumored to be a possibility. I don't really know. It's hard to really fully lock him down because there is a good part of his game that does depend on where he is playing as well because if he's playing for a terrible team, I don't know that he does enough there um, to bring in enough value just from his production. If he's in a great lineup like we saw this past season and we've seen from him in Toronto, then... I think there is a lot of value, but if he is like Solaire, potentially, like I mentioned earlier, taking a deal where he's going to a really bad team and just taking a lot of money, then I don't know that you're going to see more than like a 65, 70 RBI and run season from Gurriel. He's not going to be a top of the order kind of guy. You kind of have to you know, hope for the best situation from him team wise. Now, that being said, the price is pretty reasonable. You're not paying a lot for him. 236 is the ADP. 196 on the minimum, 295 maximum. So you're pretty much never having to pay a top 200 price. I think at that point, you take a chance. I think it's very reasonable at 236 that he does return that value. You're talking about a year this season where he finished as 177. So I, I don't think it's a far stretch to say that he can return top 200 value. It's definitely in him. I just need to see where he goes in free agency before I'm willing to fully declare uh, my stance on Gurriel, because I think it could go, you know, 80 and 80 runs in RBIs. It could be 60 and 60. And at that point, that's a pretty big difference. Uh, I know that he, like I said, good stabilizer for batting average, should be a 20 home run-ish guy. But I think there's still a lot of um, uncertainty in my mind about his production until I really know where he's going to be playing. Let's move on and talk Whit Merrifield. We go from a, a former Blue Jay to Probably another guy who will be a former Blue Jay, if we're being honest with ourselves. Another free agent here, and we did discuss him a little bit on the second base show. But he does qualify at second and in the outfield 84 times at second base, 81 times in left, and six times in right for Whit Merrifield. It was definitely a bounce-back season from him. 11 homers, 66 runs, 67 ribbies, 26 stolen bases, which was really the big bounce-back area, and also a 272 average. That was also a big bounce-back. He went down to 250 in 2022, which was the worst batting average of his career by quite a bit. We're talking about a guy who had been 283, 288, 304, 302, 282, 277, a face of consistency at the category, and then plummet down to 250. Also a guy who we'd seen go 34, 45, 40 stolen bases, go down to 16, it was a huge, huge plummet in his value, especially when you're talking about what you had to pay for him in 2022. But then in 2023, price goes down and the production goes up, which is why a lot of people just like to invest in these veterans. A lot of smart fantasy people around really preach the, you know, the wiseness of just going for a guy like a Maryfield this past season. Perfect example of somebody who you're not paying the price for. After one bad season, there's definitely still gas left in the tank. 
and he paid off, right? He's somebody who was going outside of the top 200 picks in a lot of drafts. And he returned, I know it wasn't amazing, but 189 in terms of total value on Yahoo, you'll take that. You know, 11 homers is about what you could expect, but getting the stolen bases back up. He was playing a lot, 145. He gave you 272 on the batting average, and that actually probably should have been higher. Merrifield was above 300 for most of the season. And then in September and October, he had a horrible slump. He batted 181. But if you look at month to month, it was 320, 370, 280, 356, and then 232 and 181 kind of sunk him in the second half. But a guy who can realistically still bat 280, a guy that realistically is probably still going to be going too low in a lot of your drafts. And honestly, in a lot of your 10s and 12 teamers, he's probably not going to be drafted. Maybe he is. His ADP is currently 240. Big range, though. 162 on the minimum. So that's clearly in the draft range, but 315 on the maximum. If you're in a 12-team league or a 10-team league, Odds are you're probably not drafting 315 players. I think that he's one of those guys that I will, and I mentioned this a lot last year, I'll mention it a lot this year as well, that does kind of make sense as a last-round flyer. Depending on where he goes, of course, and the role that we expect from him, that'll dictate a lot of the value. But if he goes to a semi-competent offense and we know that he's going to have a regular role, then you're saying, okay, you're probably banking another double-digit home run season with 20 stolen bases and a 280 or so batting average. And then, of course, the volume stats are really dictated by where you're playing and what lineup you're in, where you're in that lineup. Of course, if you're batting second or batting ninth, that's going to be a big thing as well. But I think that he does take or make sense as like a last round guy. If it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. But he has shown as recently as just a couple of years ago and as even as recently as this year, he could be an all-star. He can be a top 50 fantasy asset. I don't know that that's necessarily in him anymore, but he can have a 300 batting average season. That's still within the realm of possibility for Merrifield. He could still hit, you know, 12 to 15 homers. He could steal 30 bases. There's a lot of positivity there, I think, uh, in taking a last couple-round flyer on Whit Merrifield. And even if it's a, a bit of a deeper league, I don't think that you have any problem taking him where he's going at pick 240. It's not a big investment. You know, if you're talking a 15-team league, it's around 16, round 17 kind of range. Not really a big investment. Now, once he signs, this is the way it always works. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. He'll sign somewhere, unless it's with Oakland, that ADP is going to go up a little bit. So if you are drafting right now and you want to take a chance on Merrifield, you're probably not going to get him at a better price for the rest of draft season than you are currently. And that goes for everybody that we talked about that's a free agent, not just at this position, but at every position. Once a guy signs and their name is in the news, they're going to be bumped up a round or two because that's just how things work. People are talking about you. You'll see the name coming across your draft board and say, oh, yeah, he just signed there. A team was interested in him. Maybe I should be interested in him. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't know. But either way, I don't think the price is going to be better on Wit than it currently is right now. Like I said, at 240, I think it's a really good bargain and a really good chance to be taken on him at that point. Now let's talk Joey Manessis, who was the number 39 overall outfielder. The thing with Joey Manessis was that we just hyped him up too much. I wasn't one of these people. I was a hater of Manessis, not the guy himself. We share the same name. I got nothing against the fellow Joe. But I think the price was just outrageous going into last season. He was going, and uh, you know, his minimum pick was a top 50 pick or something, like 46, 45, 46 or something. It was ridiculous. And I feel for whoever made that pick and they got suckered into it probably because of the hype around him. And I kind of understand it. In 2022, Joey Manessas came up in 56 games. He had 13 homers in those 56 games, batted 324. He had 33 runs and 34 ribbies. He stole a base, you know, good strikeout rate of 21%. He was doing everything. He looked like he was going to be an absolute stud if you just looked at the production. But, you know, 
Joey Manessis was a career minor leaguer who came up at 30 years old, had a good stretch over 56 games, and then people drafted him obscenely too high. Top 100 pick in a lot of drafts going into the season, and it was always going to be a bad idea. Now, that being said, it wasn't as disastrous as I thought. He finished as the 192nd ranked player. He gave you exactly the same number of home runs in 154 games as he did in 56 games the year prior. Not great. Not great, Bob. 13 homers and 13 homers. Now, he did have 71 runs. He did have 89 RBI. That's pretty damn solid, especially considering the Nationals' offense is not that great. Now, it was, of course, 154 games, so there's a good portion of that that is volume-based, but you'll still take it. And you'll also take the 275 batting average that he gave you. If you were in a draft where the you know the room was, you know, I'm not trying to insult people, but if the room was more reasonable and no one was crazy and taking Joey Manessis 110, 120, and you maybe got him at like 150 to 180 kind of range, then you were probably totally fine with the production that you got from him. You weren't expecting the moon if you got him in that range, and you didn't get it, but you got good production. You got a guy that you were slotting in there every day. There wasn't injury risk. There wasn't injury concern. He played 154 games, and he did what you were pretty much hoping for. Now, Joey Manessis, if you are talking NFBC, the thing with him going into next year, and I'm just going to double-check this because just looking at his games played, I think I think I know what's coming here, but let me just see. Uh, yeah, he is going to be just a utility-only player if you are talking NFBC at this point. Now, his games played, I know it's crazy, but 131 at DH, 19 games at first base. He just missed qualifying at a position by one game, and then he played it in right field uh, once after last year having eligibility uh, at first base and in the outfield if you are talking about Yahoo. But this year, I think he'll carry first base because Yahoo doesn't take a hell of a lot in terms of that. 19 games, you, he'll he'll have that. But that'll be it. There won't be outfield. Uh, if you're talking NFBC League, it'll just be utility only. So at that point, you're really asking yourself, is it worth having Manessis as this DH-type guy in my lineup who's not got really a lot of power? He's not got any speed. He's in a terrible lineup. You're not, yeah, he's given me some pretty good batting average, but I don't think that there's really that much of a need to be that interested in him. Now, where you kind of get interested in him maybe is in a draft champions format where you're not you're not paying a high price for him. And regardless of the format, you're not paying a high price. Is 406.9, so call it 407 is his ADP, 232 minimum, 462 maximum. There's a pretty big range there, but you're not paying a terribly high price for Manessa. So in a draft champion league where you're just kind of hoping for some maybe at bats later on, if a guy gets hurt, you need to fill in here or there. Manessas can be that guy where you know he's going to be, you know, assuming he's healthy, he's going to be playing, he's going to be there with the Nationals, I'm assuming, next season. I've heard nothing to the contrary. Uh, he's he's got arbitration still, uh, so there's nothing going to be changing there. Um, I, I think that you're getting a guy who you can probably pencil in for some at-bats if you need them down the stretch or whatever. A guy gets hurt, you need to plug him in as a utility guy, whatever. But he's not somebody that I'm going to be interested in drafting in a 10 or a 12-team league. I just don't think that there's enough there. Like I said, from a power standpoint, there's nothing there from a speed standpoint. And there's really not a lot there from a team context standpoint as well either. So I'm going to be not out on him because the price is just nothing. But he's not going to fall in the range where you're going to be taking him in your standard 10 and 12 and maybe even potentially a 15-team draft if you're not talking. Like, if it's a 15-team league where it's just a three-outfielder format, regular, like, Yahoo-style rosters, there's no need to be taking Manessas, I don't think. 
Uh, he might be like a last round guy in a 15 teamer kind of thing in that format, but I don't think it's going to be uh, somebody that you're really missing out on if you don't get Manessis. I don't think there's a hell of a lot there. He was in the minors till he was 30 for a reason, right? Okay, let's move on. I don't want to hate on the guy any more than I have these past two seasons. And we'll finish up today with number 20, and that's Austin Hayes. Austin Hayes was at one point looking like he may compete for the batting title this past season. And overall, I mean, he gave you good production. However you want to look at it, 275 batting average. You got 16 homers and five stolen bases. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but you didn't pay anything for him. He was not somebody that was being drafted in your standard 10 and 12 team leagues. I don't have the ADP in front of me from NFBC leagues from last season, but I don't think it was terribly high. He was coming off of a year where he had 16 homers, two stolen bases. He had a 250 batting average. I don't think that there was that much expected from him. But, you know, even though he had the same number of homers, he only stole five bases. You know, he increased the runs. He increased the RBI. The batting average went up. So there was still value in having Austin Hayes. He was the 209th ranked player. He wasn't some world beater, but he was somebody, especially in the first half of the season, that really gave you a hell of a lot of batting average. You know, in those head-to-head leagues, Austin Hayes probably won you some weeks, uh, some weeks just based on what he did for you uh, over those first three months of the season. Now, it did definitely fall off, but in April, he batted 312. In May, he batted 310. In June, he batted 326. Now, the second half of the season, he batted 227 as a whole. It was it was shit. His second half was was shit, and it did show you you know the floor there. But overall, you still got a pretty damn solid season, and he did show you that he can be a guy who does hit for a fairly high batting average. It's not going to be you know blowing you away necessarily, but it's going to be a pretty decent batting average to the point where it's a plus. Because this world that we live in, you don't really need to have a batting average above like two fifty or so for you to be considered really. Con- a big contributor in the category. You're batting 260. You're probably a pretty solid batting average contributor. And Hayes, I think, is going to be some somebody where 260 is probably a, about a floor that you can a floor that you can look at for him. Now, right now, he's projected about fifth in the Orioles lineup. I think that that's pretty solid for him in terms of an RBI standpoint. Not a massive RBI guy, but 67. I don't know. He's projected to go to 70. If he's batting behind potentially like Jackson Holiday, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, you could see him go for like 80 RBI just from you know being in that lineup regularly, and that's something he's done. 144, 145, 133 games each of the past three seasons. He's going to be there. He is going to be regularly playing left field pretty much every single day for the Orioles. So you're going to get the volume. You're going to get you know decent homer number. You're going to get decent counting stats, and I think he's going to be a pretty solid plus for you in the batting average category. So I do like him. I don't think that he's somebody that you're going to be paying a lot for regardless of your draft. 303 is his early ADP on the NFBC. You're talking 239 on the minimum side, 360 on the maximum. I think, you know, obviously you want to get him as late as possible, but anywhere beyond like 260, 270, I think is fairly reasonable. He's not going to be a huge target, but just somebody who can stabilize my batting average a little bit. He's a 262 career hitter. He has shown potentially that he could be like a 280 kind of hitter. He showed us that this season, right? It really fell out. The bottom fell out in the second half, but I don't think that he's that bad. I don't think he's as good as he was the first three months, but you average that out, and that's about what he was, a 275 hitter. I think you can see that from him. And at that point in the draft, post pick 300, to get a plus in batting average who's in smack in the middle of a really good, promising lineup, maybe slightly too young to be considered like an elite lineup, but a really promising lineup, I think you're getting a pretty good bargain on him there. And if you're taking him right at ADP, then you're talking about like round 21 of a 15-teamer. 
It's really not a huge investment. For those of you guys playing in 12-teamers, it's around 26 if your draft even goes that far. So it's really not a big investment, and I think it could potentially pay off. Not that he's going to be one of these you know, massive breakout guys where he's hitting 30 bombs or something, hitting 300, but just a guy who can fly under the radar who can be really productive, and at the end of the day, those are the guys that end up winning you your leagues. But that'll do it for us. That'll wrap up the week, and that'll wrap up Outfielder Week in general. Like I said, we may or may not do another one on Monday where we just kind of wrap it up as a position as a whole, talk about maybe five or ten guys who did not fall inside of the top 40, who I think will have value next season One for one reason or another. Um, you know, Maybe they didn't finish in the top 40 because they were hurt. Maybe it's because they're a young prospect who got called up later in the season. They didn't get the volume. Whatever the reason is, maybe we'll do that. We're going to see what happens over the course of the weekend. I'm hoping, and I think you guys are all hoping, for a flurry of activity, for a hell of a lot of signings, for trades. I want everybody traded for everybody. I want everybody signing for massive contracts so we have stuff to discuss and break it up a little bit because I love doing these reviews, but it's also really nice when we do have some breaking Jeff Passan news to kind of discuss and, you know, even if it's on you know live on air or whatever it is, uh, I just talk about the news of the day. But that'll be enough of the rambling for me for this week. That'll do it. Of course, check us out over on socials. I'm at JoeOrico99. We are sportsethos.com and ethosfantasybb on Twitter uh, is where you can find all of the different updates. But until Monday, guys, whatever the show will look like, we'll see you then. Uh, But until then, take care, have a great weekend, and cheers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.